episode 31 of Everything Went Black podcast. I've got Josh Bear back online here, and uh, it's timely because uh, we're right at the eve of the relaunch of uh, probably both of our favorite band, Black Flag, and the other band known as Flag, and we kind of get into that, as well as some other topics like punk rock, a bunch of his uh, upcoming uh, comic book releases, and um, anyway, yeah, I think this might be a sort of controversial uh, episode because there seems to be a lot of conflicting ideas about Greg Ginn, Keith Morris, and all these guys hitting the road, recording new material, and using the name Black Flag or Flag. So here we go. It's a weird sort. It's very um, of the eighties, yeah. Because it was sort of like a lovingly recreating a lot of the trends from the fifties. So there's the paranoia. It's like it's like a re. It's like a redo of. Um, it's like in the eighties you had like the American action hero being reformed as Rambo, like did a, where you had left off with John Wayne in the 40s. And he was taking, this Bill Manilow was taking like 50s uh, science fo- uh, flying saucer paranoia movies and, that were like a metaphor for McCarthyism. Yeah. And he was bringing them back in and showing like all the paranoia that was underneath the surface in American culture in the 80s. I mean, Rom himself is like the alien from outer space with all this, you know, the shit around him. He's investigating these aliens, the, the dire race who look just like us. There's a lot going on in the comic. Yeah. But it's really, it's also a very heartbreaking comic. It's it's so well written. The Rom's, Rom's, I think I might have said this the last time we were interviewed, or maybe it was another interview. Rom's position is somebody who is, He's, he remembers when his quality of life was better, and he's constantly pining away for it. It has such parallels to what happened to Bill Manilow. Because for the listeners who don't know, he was hit by a car, and in when he was my age, when he's forty-two, and has been in a center for cranial trauma in Brooklyn ever since. So that gives it a whole other dimension. It's just like it's, you read it, and you know, there's issues where Rom is basically trying to come to terms with accepting less in his life, and it's almost like. It's just, it's, it's weird. It's weird. It's like, yeah. it's like when you see, you know, I was with Pettibone a, a couple months ago and we went to go see the movie that he did with Mike Kelly, where Mike Kelly's in it. And also he did a movie, um, it'll come to me in a second. It was a big, it was a punk rock movie, Mike Watts in it. Oh, uh, you mean it was like a docu, a punk rock documentary or it was a film? Film, one of the ones that he wrote with the script. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, because there's, there's, a, there's a series of those. Yeah. Was it, it recent, or was it from back in the... It was back in, the, like, 87, 88. Oh, yeah. That, I can't remember any of those titles. Yeah. I think there's a band named after it, too, so it'll come to me. But not only did Mike Kelly kill himself, but the other dude in the movie is not Mike Watt. The three of them are in a band. I think their names are, like, Scooter and Jinx, like the Sonic Youth song. Mm-hmm. And the dude, one of the guys, is uh, also hung himself. The other, So the only one left is Mike Watt. Wow. And we're watching the movie, and you know, Pettibone's whole style is if it, having the actors toy with whatever's around them. It's, part of it is just having them interact with the space around them. So he, the guy starts playing around with this tie, and everybody's yelling at him, don't you know how to tie a tie? You know, let Scooter do it. And the guy's like, I'm going to do it. And they're like, are you killing yourself with this tie? And it goes on for a while like that. Wow. Are you, you know... It's like, you know, you don't know how to kill yourself, right? Because you're just a hippie or whatever the, the theme of the movie was. 
so Raymond afterwards, it was like a Mike a Mike Kelly retrospective. Afterwards, he said it really he didn't remember that, and it really broke his heart. Yeah, it's some weird foreshadowing or something, you know. The um, like the just real once again revisiting Rom. Yeah, sure. Like, I, I read Rom when I was a kid in the eighties. I remember when it came out. Like I, you know, I go a, a huge lifelong comic fan, and I remember it there. I, I didn't think I had the resources to fully process like the, the story and gather all the subtleties together because you know I was only twelve or thirteen years old like when I was reading that. So I'm really interested in going back to like maybe I, I still I have all of them still so maybe I should just dig them up again and just reread them. They're so fucking good. Yeah, it's like he'll introduce he'll, he, great sleight of hand. He'll introduce some amiable small town character like. Like, make you think he's going to be a part of the cast because they're so mild and it seems like a fully fleshed out character. And he'll kill them by the end of the issue to remind, to just, you know, to remind you that anything can happen in this yeah. comic. Yeah. He's got this character named Archie Stryker in the beginning of the comic who um, is convinced that Rom, he's a criminal and he ends up gaining this armor. And um, it's, the story is so twisted and fleshed out. And, playing around with not having characters be completely good or bad. He's a criminal, but he's also completely convinced that Rom's here to destroy the Earth. So out of, like, Earth patriotism, he he basically gets into bed with these aliens who put this armor on him. Oh, right. I mean, there's just, like, it's a good, it's a good comic. Yeah. I hated it when I was a kid. That's part of the reason I picked it. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, I can go pick apart this old comic. It's, you know, it'll have, like, a kitsch value. And... Then I, when I started reading it, I started getting into it in a pretty sincere way. Yeah, I got to check those out again. Because I'm, I'm, I, I was telling you earlier, I'm selling part of my collection off just because it's too big, and mm-hmm. you know that money could I could make some cash with it and sort of re re uh, you know assess up a couple things in my life here, pay off some bills, things like that. Sure. So yeah, in the process of cataloging everything, I started running across those books, and that's why I'm like, I've always I always wondered like. You know, I noticed like some of your the subject, your art is a lot of the you know this Rom Space Knight sort of stuff is like a recurring theme, and I was always wondering why, like what the fascination was, you know. Yeah, it was kind of well. What happened? The way it evolved was my friend Tom Hart was starting his own school in Florida, and he was trying to get a bunch of cartoonists to do to cover other comics. Yeah. So he's like, you can do anything. Like this guy Tim Krieger was doing Dick Tracy. Somebody else was doing, I mean, Box Brown, who's like my publisher now, mm-hmm. he was going to be doing uh, uh, Jack Chick Tracks. And um, so he threw it out there, and I, I considered doing something really, you know, something that's really um, critically acclaimed or something. There's a lot to choose from. I was like, well, I could do, uh, I would love to have done Dick Tracy. I considered doing Jack Cole, who did Plastic Man, and all. Yeah. I wanted to do one of his crime comics. And, uh, then I think there was one more. Oh, I was thought about doing DP7, which I ended up doing. And then I was like, oh, I'll do ROM. And as I was doing it, I ended up thinking about what was going on in my life. I mean, part of the reason I picked it too was because I didn't love it, so I felt like I wouldn't clutch it too hard. Yeah. The same way that, like, before that, I did my Bob Dylan comic. Mike mm-hmm. Rollins was my big hero, or right. John Brannon, or um, uh, who else? These are all people that I know every I know as many details yeah. about their life as I possibly can. Dylan, though, he was from an era before me. I uh-huh. felt like I'd be able to see him more objectively. Yeah. 
and then I was able to make it. I was able to make it whatever I wanted it to be. So that seemed to be a good formula: is to kind of pick shit which I can kind of keep at arm's length and not maybe not get too obsessed about it having to be the final word on that character. And then I fell in love with Rom. I mean, I bought every issue on eBay. That um, you notice new things every time you read them. Yeah, that's uh, real. I mean. Sal Buscema, it, it's part of the whole beauty of the project that he was sort of the consummate Marvel hack. Yeah, definitely. One of many. He's not even, you know, if, among the hacks, I, would have, I like uh, Al Milgram. I like uh, Rick Buckler. His, his, his shit is nuts. Why don't, what, what did he do? He did, uh, he invented Deathlock. Oh, okay, Deathlock, yeah, yeah. He looks like Greg Ginn, actually. He, like, or, or like a Napoleon Dynamite type of dude. <laughs> <laughs> you got to see this guy, and he not to laugh at him, but he. Uh, what's funny about him is he had that style that was like a hybrid between Ramada, Biscuma, and Kirby. And there was a period where he was doing all these fantastic four covers, and Jim Starlin had had a similar look. And you go back to them at the time they came out, people were rolling their eyes and going, "Look at Marvel, man, just doing this Kirby pastiche." And now you look at it, and that weird period where people could capitalize on the energy left in Kirby's vacuum right. and somehow ape him in a way that wasn't him, but it's it's a lost art. Yeah, it's yeah like, definitely. It's really lost. It's like you look back at those comics, and they're not great because they're original, but they're great because they're they're so cool. Yeah. And because people couldn't – when people try to do Kirby now, it has a much different look. Like who? Who would you think? Bruce Tim. Okay. Uh, Emming. Um, it, so those are both Yeah, I can see what people. you're saying, yeah. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Uh, who's that guy that did all the Thor cut? Ron Friends. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's got a very Kirby-esque sort of larger-than-life like quality to it. Yeah. 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 I, yeah I, got, I met Jim Starlin when I was a kid. He was doing a, a signing in a comic book shop where I was growing up, and it was during the... I think uh, Dreadstar was like the big... That was like his, his thing, his ongoing series at that point. And, um, yeah, I, I latched on to that because I was just Captain Marvels I thought were great, you know. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, the Dreadstar comics I thought were awesome. And then, of course, there was the Metamorphosis Odyssey, which did you, did you ever read that? That was in, uh, there, when Marvel had that adult heavy epic? metal, Epic, yeah, epic yeah. Illustrated, Epic Illustrated, <laughs> the, um, that was like this epic long form story that Starlin did. It was all black and white and it was sort of the, um you know, the origin of, uh, of Dreadstar, you know, the character was introduced in Epic Illustrated and then he, he spun off into his own, it was Epic Comics, I think, right? Was the uh, imprint that Marvel mm-hmm. had for the, the direct only market. Yeah. The, the creators were supposed to own their works too. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, that was like, I think my, one of their flagship titles in that imprint. And I remember Starlin was, uh, was doing a bunch of um, signings in the area, and one of them was this place in Poughkeepsie, New York, called Iron Vix, which I'm sure is gone by now. But uh, but yeah, I was all excited when he was there because I was like a big fan of that. Mm-hmm. I was like all about that comic for a long time. You know? How old were you? Thirteen or something? I it was a long time ago. So yeah, I was probably yeah, it was like the early '80s. So yeah, like probably probably twelve or thirteen, somewhere in that range. Did you go with an older family member? Yeah, I went with my dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I saw, I never met, a lot of people I know grew up, they met their heroes, you know, mm-hmm. I never went to a comic convention, but I met, met Milton Kniff. Really? Yeah, my dad loved Milton Kniff. Huh. 
And I grew up reading about why he was so great. I had a copy of The Great American, The Great Comic Book Heroes by Jules Pfeiffer. Okay, yeah. And he just wouldn't stop talking about Kniff. And I was, you know, as a kid, I was in Ohio, and they kept on, he went to Ohio State University. That was his alma mater. So they wouldn't stop reading, uh, running Steve Canyon. I think I heard Steve Canyon was down to 250 papers when it went out of business, maybe 80, I don't remember. Yeah. I mean, what else? Like, Little Wharf Nanny just went out of business in 2011. Oh, wow. It was down like 80 papers. Wow. But they wouldn't stop running it, and I, you know, I didn't respect the strip because I was a, I was a kid, but it also wasn't his peak shit. But now I look back, I mean, I saw him talk. He's just some nice old dude, but uh, to me, I'm, he's maybe my absolute favorite cartoon anybody person who's ever uh committed their ideas to to the medium uh, i was just rereading terry and the pirates and that sh- that comic is fucking amazing yeah i have a trade of that all those you know from somewhere in my collection of boxes that i'm uncovering I'm, i've been living here for almost four years and i'm just still moving in as you can see <laughs> yeah well, can me can me post it if uh, there's an opening in this building yeah totally you're interested in moving down to this area well, I think you want to drive my rent up, you know. Oh, yeah, man. But, you know, I have to have roommates usually, so I don't know if it would work out, you know. Yeah. My my, my landlord's good. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll, I'll keep, ask her to keep an eye out for you. So, what's up? What do you, What's your feelings on this black flag thing, man? Uh, it's it's sort of like a, a t- it's like a nerve when you talk to different people about it. You know, some people think it's are totally cool with it. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's, it would take a lot, I think, at this point, to, to like, to to hurt my feelings about, you know, or, or make me feel like something that was precious is being threatened. So much has happened. I sympathize with all of those guys at doing something, you know, trying to, trying to. This is the, you know, this is the thing they did, the biggest claim to fame. Yeah, and uh, I think. Calling calling it flag has a nice not the Greg Ginn side of it the other the other side of the of the Keith black Morris flag. Yeah. yeah well just to get the record straight in case anyone knows there's two two uh, groups of gentlemen running around claiming well there's no real claims being made but there's Greg Ginn using black flag and yeah. that's Greg Ginn Ron Reyes yeah and they don't know who the rest of it is yet right um. Well, yeah, the bass player is Dale Nixon, who, as everyone knows, is Greg, Greg Ginn. Ginn right. He used that moniker on uh, My, My War. War. And uh, some guy on drums. Originally, it was... Oh, I know. That, that is Greg. Another Greg. He, it was No, no, Steve or Greg or something. I remember he had the same... Because he played with a version of the Greg Ginn band in the oh, 90s. okay. All right, well, that makes sense then. Because originally, there was talk of Robo coming back and playing drums. Mm-hmm. And then that just sort of got lost in the shuffle. And then there's Flag, which is Keith Morris... Dukowski, yeah. oddly enough, that he would be in that version. Um, Steven Egerton from uh, Descendants. Oh, right, right, right. And, uh, oh, Bill Stevenson. Bill Stevenson. Who's so, a power hit, power drummer. But the, the, that, the, the idea of calling themselves Flag is really cool, since people nickname Black Flag Flag a lot. Yeah, but, you know, Keith's, I mean, off. It's kind of like a play on that, too. Sure, and, you know, I know. I don't know. It's just like the whole... I just wish they would leave it alone, man. See, see, to me, it's kind of like what we were just saying about people trying to capitalize on the void that Kirby left when he vanished. It's not good because it's original. It's good because they're like, we can still conjure up this energy. Maybe. Yeah, we'll maybe. See. We'll I, see, man. Yeah. You know, and honestly, I, I, 
My one of my biggest issues is that there's been this 30 year lag in in these guys' career. Really, I mean, not so much Keith Morris because he was doing you know he had uh, you know Circle Jerks going. You know, I mean, I saw the Circle Jerks play like four years ago in at South by Southwest. So I mean, they were yeah. He's been out there. They've been doing that band pretty consistently, and then you know now he has Off, which has been you know doing really well. People yeah, yeah. are really receptive to that band, but Greg playing black flag music like that style has been it's been three decades yeah you know and i'm not saying that he can't play what i'm saying is that he's none of these people are the same people they were they made that music back in you know black flag disbanded in 1986 and started in 1977 you know you're not even your body's not even comprised of the same cells you know what i mean you're you're a totally different person I'm a different person. You're a different person mm-hmm. than, you know, 30 years ago, you know? And if you were, if you were a kid and you missed out, or if you were too young to miss out, you missed it. Yeah, yeah. I missed seeing, uh, I never saw Led Zeppelin either, you know what I mean? So I missed out. Yeah. You know, I don't want to see Robert Plant and Jimmy Page get up there and do Zeppelin songs with like, you know, Matt Sorum from the cult playing drums or something <laughs> like that, or like Rudy nope. Sarzo playing bass, you know? Well, tickets are only $2,000, are you sure? <laughs> But I think that's kind of like how I feel about about this flag, black flag sort of thing. And in in an age of of um, all of these reunions, yeah, it's just it just doesn't sit right with me personally. Well, I have a lot of different feelings on it. I mean, on one I mean, on one hand, to the credit of most of these punk bands, aside from the Sex Pistols. When they come back, it's not like Kiss, where it's like four dudes buried underneath wigs and makeup and fucking, like, clothes that fucking hide their bellies. Yeah. Except for the Sex Pistols, where I feel like Johnny Ryan, Johnny Ryan, Johnny Rodden is really into a sort of glamour, um, and they try to, they're trying to pull off, like, looking cool. I mean, everybody wants to look cool. And when I see, like, the footage of these guys, when they, I see them do, doing their rehearsals or just wearing T-shirts and jeans, you do get to see these punk rock dudes just aging well. He's talking about the black flag stuff. Yeah, you know, his name of the dude from uh, All and uh, Descendants? Oh, there's two guys from All. There's um, there's uh, Bill Stevenson and, no, no, sure. and Stephen Egerton, the guitar player. Stephen Egerton, yeah, Egerton. Um, so I've seen them playing, like, some, some material together. I can't remember who was singing, but he was... He was tearing it up, you know. I thought he was—he's not a good substitute for the soul, the inno, the soul of Greg Ginn, and he's not a good substitute for the innovative spirit that he was at all. But that's that—that—that that, that was never on the table. Yeah. As far as being somebody who can rock, you know, I thought he—I thought it was—I um, thought it was worth watching. I wouldn't go. I wouldn't pay thirty bucks or fifty bucks probably for a night out when I could spend it, spend it drawing. Yeah, and if I were them, I wouldn't want to go out to go on tour. Well, they are going on tour. Flag is going. Apparently, both of these operations are going to be hitting the road. I wonder what's going to feel like, man. Poor them. Ah, uh, I don't know, man. Well, I mean, like I said, Keith Morris has been out there, you know, touring with 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 Off. Yeah. You know, the the Descendants have been act more, you know, semi active too. Yeah. You know, doing like the Warp tour and things like that. Greg Ginn has been sort of active, you know, like he had those sort of close country records and he would, I don't know if he would do these extensive touring, but I think that he's been playing shows. He's been out there playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but Ron Reyes, dude, like, all right, Ron Reyes performed in 2010 
yeah. with Greg Ginn at Ron Reyes's 50th birthday party. Sure. Right? But for, other than that, like, what the hell has this guy been doing? He tried to do some bands. You know, they, it's hard. You know, they didn't take off. I think for a while he was a Christian. I think he even tried to do a Christian rock band. Oh. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not terribly surprising. He didn't seem... He seemed... Uh, you know, he wasn't the great. He wasn't the great, you know, mind behind Black Flag. He was just a singer, so yeah. sort of soldier. You know, I could see him resorting to whatever he needed to to cope with life. I'm friends with his son on Facebook in some minor capacity. I think he told me that his dad, you know, he tried to do bands. He tried to, he he tried to deal with his love of music and try to dovetail it into just supporting himself and raising a family best he could against yeah. anybody else. He didn't seem. Uh, he sounded okay. He sounded incredible when I saw him yeah. when I saw that footage. Uh, shit, what else can I add to that? Yeah. Yeah, I just think that, like, it's just an odd choice for me because... Oh, I know what I was going to say. I'm sorry. No, go ahead, so, so somebody I know who used to play with Greg, he said that uh, he saw Greg come through his town and play him with that country project. And they're friends, and he wasn't saying this in a way that was supposed to be tearing Greg down or anything, but he had to admit, he said it was, he just felt like he had, something was really missing. He said, the sad thing about listening to that, that music, that instrumental garbage, sorry, not garbage, mush, but it's kind of mushy, it all kind of mushes together, it's like, what is it, a jam band? Basically, it's a jam band, yeah. And he said, occasionally you can hear a glimmer of the genius that Greg used to be and the focus. Yeah. And the most of the rest of it was sort of a tangle. Now, I saw Greg say, I don't see this new band as necessarily being a continuation from where he left off in 86. I see it as being a continuation of where he left off in 96 when he stopped doing the Greg Ginn band. Right. When that shit was, I mean, it, it wasn't well known, but he was doing all his Black Flag material live and he was incredible. Yeah. The Greg Ginn band, I saw them play, like I was saying before, earlier today, I saw them play about maybe eight times. And uh, they, he would end every show with like a medley of like early Black Flag covers. Okay. He sang them. My friend told me that um, confidentially he knew that Greg hated doing that material. But it seemed to pay, it seemed to kind of get channeled into the music. I mean, it was really... He was doing better music than Rollins was doing at the time. It because was, of the... Well, it was like the late 90s, so Rollins had the, the Mother Superior line that. Mother Superior started like in 2000 or 99. Maybe oh, so it was like uh, Coming and Burn, Burn era, which is yeah. like a the down... Sort of the sliding era of Rollins' band. Yeah, I have listened to that album a lot, though. It's yeah. Like, sort of like a weird zombie birdhouse kind of project. I, I, listened, I gave it a couple of spins. Like, I own it, but I, I'm not... It's not... I, I acknowledge that as being like the sort of last legs, you know, of that version of the band. Well, I got to give you some of the, I think we've talked about this before. I love the side B material that he was doing with the Mother Superior version. See, dude, I, I can't, I can't, I, I just can't back that band. Like, I, I'm, I saw him play and I was so completely let down oh, by really? him. really? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give it a listen for sure, yeah. man, but like. The drummer was the weakest part. Yeah, the whole, the band was the weakest part, man. Like, I. It's like the only time it was acceptable to watch them was when they were doing the Black Flag covers, like on that tour they did, like most like almost like ten years ago at this point. Yeah, yeah, it was two thousand four. Yeah, and uh, that was kind of cool because you can kind of forget that you know they're playing. I mean, they they played competently, but it was just a bizarre 
things. I always think of the Rollins band as a very specific group of people. I mean, I, I got used to sure. Melvin Gibbs being in the band. I yeah, thought he was always hated him, but yeah. But you know, he's yeah, yeah. he's a great great musician, you know. Mm. And I and I acknowledge, you know, weight. There's some good stuff on weight. Yeah, singing was good on weight. Singing yeah. was better there than it was on uh Yeah. Um End of Silence. Yeah, definitely. But the material was way more powerful on End of Silence though, man. I think. That was like a powerful record. Yeah, well the you still had Andrew. Yeah, Andrew Weiss. Um I'm not a fan of End of Silence. I think it's way think he puts way too fine of a point on everything. Have you heard the demo record? I did, yeah. It still just can't I don't have a place in my heart for that album. Yeah, I I like it. A lot actually. You know. There's there's a lot of tracks on there that are definitely like meaningful and you know when the record came out it was definitely like a like a sort of a vibe for me you know i think so i mean i mean all the other shit too i mean I, it's not my favorite album by by rollins band I mean, obviously for me it was hard volume was like my favorite oh, rollins absolutely. band absolutely absolutely you know and, and you know lifetime was great you know and yeah. then the you know the even the stuff before that was awesome too oh yeah yeah I and mean, it's all great it's all you know and then there's there's uh, when i was in europe actually i remember then this is not not even in tombs not even in anodyne this is i played in a band called otis in the 90s and we toured Europe with uh, Fetus and Bark Market. Hmm. And around that time... Jim uh, Thurwell Fetus? Yeah, hmm. yeah, Jim Thurwell. Around that time, I, I heard that Rollins' band had done a split with this band called Gore, who that we coincidentally played with on that tour. This, uh, I think they're Dutch. Oh, 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 split album, right. A split... Seven inch. No, actually, it was a 12 inch. Okay. Like, And as soon as I found out that there was a split LP, yeah. like super limited... I had to find it, yeah. so I, I, I found it in Amsterdam somewhere, and I ended up, I don't know how much I paid for it. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and I picked it up, and uh, that 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 record was great, too, man. And that was, like, that super it. raw, it was stu- It was live, so it was all stuff from, like, you know, like Henrietta Collins and, and that, that era. Hmm. And it was, like, the rawest version of that band, like, in the very beginning where it was like you can hear the sort of transition from Black Flag into like what he was doing. Like his approach was like more consistent with like the later Black Flag stuff. And like that stuff, all that early Rollins band stuff is great. It was like just the, to me, it was like the the future of what music could be, you know, like rock music, you know. Yeah, that shit was very defining for me. Even as a non-musician, it was like, and, and like I know, like my, you know, I I always fought these these, uh, you know, the sort of vibe that people had. Oh yeah, you know, Black Flag was better before Henry Rollins was in the band. Or oh yeah, I like the Keith Morris version of the band better. Well, you can fucking suck my dick if you think that that's the best version of the band because that was just an American punk band. Mm-hmm. You know, I I love that material. Don't get me wrong, but there was nothing remarkable about those early records. You know. There was nothing that really... I love Keith Morris, too, but he was way better in Circle Jerks than he ever was in Black Flag. Like, Circle Jerks is when Keith Morris came into his own. And I think that that is, like, his more, you know, memorable, powerful material. Like, the more defining material for for him was, to me, the black, the, the uh, Circle Jerks stuff. So, uh, you know, there's always, like, those guys who are, like, the you know, mm-hmm. the punker sort of, you know, I'm, like, a punk rock dude and... Because all my friends tell me I have to like the Keith Morris version of the band, like the Nervous Breakdown version of the band. I'm just going to like forget about the Rollins version of the band, you know, when yeah. Rollins was the singer. And I mean, aside from him as a great vocalist and like a really powerful front man, 
I really feel like Greg Ginn was playing, like the music that he was creating was way more interesting than the stuff that he did in Nervous Breakdown. You know, that version of the band. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, my favorite stuff, I mean, if, you, if I was going to say someone other than Rollins who I would pick, I would pick Dez as my favorite singer. You know, I'm surprised Dez wasn't wasn't tapped to go out and do any of these, you know. I heard he's, I heard he's involved. It's going to be a five-piece, the flag thing now. So he's playing guitar. Yeah, I believe so. Wow. T- double, yeah, I heard Chuck, uh, Chuck was saying it. He said, yes, I'm really glad we're getting him because uh, some of the songs were always intended to have a double guitar. We never did it live, blah, blah, blah. Wow. The um, Chavo gets a pass for me because he's saying on that song, I don't care. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. I got into Black Flag in a serious way because of side, discovering side two of my war. Yep. And I wonder, I mean, I listened to that so much, I mean, in a really serious way. It was like the Bible to me. It was very, listening to side two of my war was very deeply personal. Oh, yeah. It's hard to say now. If It is interesting that people now... I get the sense that because there's been so much Sabbathy punk fusion, that people who just come upon that aren't as blown away as they were in when you discovered it in the '80s. True, yeah, but even with that said, there really you you can't just like the the sort of disconcerting atonal vibe of some of that later music, man. It's still, nothing really sounds that way. Like, the only band I can think of that sounds anything remotely like Black Flag is Rorschach. That's it. Mm. You know, that's like the only band that actually back their, their, um... Reunion? The reunion, you know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I give them a pass. Hmm. You know, because, um, it was sort of put together in a way that I thought that was cool. It was like, all original members, all original roadies. I wonder how you... That's amazing. Yeah. I wonder how... From a technical standpoint, like, if you're picking up on things that I don't see, like, I could see when they pull Herb Trimp out of, Trimpe, excuse me, out of retirement, uh-huh. I can see that his yeah. hand control is really deteriorating. Well, totally. And I can see it with, even with Sal Buscema, his shit was consistent all the way through his career. Now he's retired for a few years, his shit is not as sharp. Yeah. It's kind of the curse of, it might be more of a curse for people who had a very professional looking style or they don't, you know, I feel like, I can't think if there's any cartoonists who, I, th- I guess you, even if you, ha- let's see, I mean, I'm trying to think of somebody who did a really raw style, like Peter Bag or something Steve like that. Steve Ditko? Yeah, I mean, his shit got uglier as he got older and in a way it was just as expressive. The screen went black. Is that okay? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's the, just, the screen, yeah. But anyways, I can see at a moment, I can see immediately where somebody's stuff is just not as balanced, you know? Yeah. I wonder if you pick up on that in a way that I don't see. The thing is though, I, I, I'm confident that Greg Ginn is going to be on point. Like that dude, really? I, oh man, please. I think that that guy is probably playing guitar like, Seven, seven, eight hours a day. Still, but what about when you did the Black Flag reunion? That was like a cat benefit in the late nineties. Well, that was, but he went, he put a half-assed band together too. Like he had like a drum machine, or no, that was like a recorded bass track or something. That was, yeah. that was, you know, from my assessment, I didn't see it, but it yeah. sounds like total bullshit, bullshit to me. Yeah. Well, you I know, saw him do a warm-up gig for that um, because I went to go see all those Greg Ginn mid nineties shows. Yeah. I love them. Right. So then he came out and he played one show in Corona. At, uh, what did we say that was? The, uh, All right, showcase. The, the showcase theater in Corona, yep. So I went to the showcase and I, just, and he came out. He had the same lineup 
that it was going to end up playing the Black Flag show, 99 Black Flag show, but I didn't know it yet. So, uh, and that dumb, that guy, that skater guy. Mike Vialli? Mike Vialli, his band, op- Mike Vialli and the Rats, okay. opened up for him, if that's his name. Yeah. And he, they opened, I was like, you know, it's bad. And then Greg got on there and... Uh, I like, uh, Mike Mike V is like definitely someone that is in my consciousness of someone who's like a, 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 a real guy though, honestly. Oh, really? Like you know yeah. him personally? No, I don't know him personally, but... I, I've been, he's like one of those old school skater skaters that, cause you know, skateboarding, like music and like hardcore yeah. turn into just like posing, you know what so, I mean? And I feel like I, I've kind of given so up on skateboarding yeah. as like a, as a, as a movement, you know what I mean? As a sort of individualistic sort of thing, you know, I feel like now it's just like, it's a, it's an accoutrement. It's like this sort of accessory, you know, like wearing a fucking mustache with like the waxed ends. It's sure. like. Skating and wearing a mustache to me are the same thing. Like, it's not out. It's not outlaw anymore, you know. But back in the in those days, like in the early days of like punk and hardcore, it was out. It was an outlaw thing. And I think Mike V is like carries that spirit with him, you know. I mean, I don't know him personally. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't musically. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I never checked out his band or anything like that. But so anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It, he. So I saw that, and Greg's singing was bad. His playing was bad. That's and I heard that it was pretty con- uh, consistent with how his fake reunion show was. So hopefully this one's better. Yeah, I mean, but that's what I've seen at him after the '90s. It seemed like he lost his mind. The music sounded like a bunch of formless spaghetti. I am interested to see. I wonder how how the shit will be. I'm also curious to see if he'll embrace late Black Flag material. Like, will he do? Don't retire. Uh, 21. Retired at 21. Retired at 21. Yeah, off of in my head. Will he do... Uh, in society, my head. Society's <laughs> Disease. Paralyzed. Paralyzed is a fucking great song. They're sexy songs, too. Dude, it's just like, you know, those are the records no one even acknowledges. And those are like my... Like, In My Head is probably my favorite Black Flag album. I know, I you know? know. And no one even... They just... Oh, that's a heavy metal record they made. You know? And I'm like... You're 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 a poser. Like you're if you're if you're into just the, the the look and feel of punk rock, then you like that earlier stuff. Like if you're someone who just cares about wearing the right fucking t-shirt, you know, and like having a cool haircut, then yeah, you know, being part of the fucking pack. But if you're like really someone who approaches music as as music as an art form, yeah. you want to be an individual, then you yeah. like get into later shit. I feel like there's people out there. There's been sort of a resurgence of, of appreciation of in my head. I think if you Google it, you'll find people who are like probably metal, more metal types are into that because you know Black Flag sort of crosses influences like bands like Slayer and whatever. You know they're they're a punk and a hardcore band, and they definitely influence a lot of those types of bands. But also because of the intensity of their music. Because, you know, and they were also influenced by metal, but they also influenced a lot of the more extreme metal bands, you know. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I can see that. But, I mean, most people dismiss those records, you know. Yeah, you know, it's funny. My friend, uh, um, Eric Lyle, the Scamzine, he just did the Black Flag Damaged 30th Anniversary Tribute Issue. Oh, wow. I should bring you a copy. Yeah, man, I'd love to read that. Uh, I had me do the cover for it. Really? Yeah, so we recreated awesome. recreated the... Um, uh, the fist slamming into the glass, but we put the Iggy Scam logo, the Scam Magazine logo in the mirror. Nice. So, uh, he actually, he wrote a lot of really esoteric, he, pieced, he he strung together a lot of cool ideas, analyzing the record significance. It was a really great article. Right. And, uh, talked about, um, 
much, you know, about the idea of, he had one point about how uh, weird it is that L.A. is has is now embracing this band that was off in the margins, you know, was not embraced at all when they came out. And he said it's, uh, they're also creating all this nostalgia for the period that produced them. And it was a period of absolute economic, epitome yeah. economic downturn. And they're glamorizing it. Mm-hmm. They're like, look at this period that produced Black Flag. And it's a period where the, the, where California is bankrupt. And they're yep. looking back on another period where they're bankrupt. And they, uh, he actually had a point in the magazine where he said that damaged, like it has the last song that has the word we in it, which is like rise above. And I was listening to in my head and I go, actually in the society's tease, they say, uh, they use the word we, ah, yeah. And he's like, oh yeah, God damn it. You're right. Huh? Well, you know, but that song is kind of like everything coming full circle. Yeah, because that record, because in my head is is not a very like political sort of album in a way. It's more like an introspective kind of personal record, I think. And then there's like, it's not more. It's commenting more inward as opposed to outward. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that's what really like, you know, what influenced me personally because like when I that was one of the records I really, you know, I was like in high school and that came out and that was the beginning of me sort of forming my own ideas about what I wanted to do with music, you know, and, and that sort of carried me into like, you know, the future really, you it's, know, it's a real sense of isolation in that album, right from the very first lyric where it's like the imagery is like a car that's wrecked in the middle of the desert. It's like, uh, yeah, and that's, that's pretty, they really did get away from like a sense of, like we, us all being in it together, like it's there on early songs. Like Rise Above is such a fucking idealistic song, yeah. comparatively. And that was, but that was also a reaction to how they were, you know, Black Flag was viewed by the scene. Because really, it's it's a pretty well known fact that like when Rollins joined the band, like when he, you know, not maybe not at first when he was like singing all the other material, like the Dez material, but when they started going off into these more uh, experimental pathways the popularity of the band had decreased significantly and you know the scene quote unquote was kind of turning their back on them because they you know had long hair and they were like you know this metal band now and so as a result of that i mean and that's kind of feeds into this whole idea of what they're doing now because i'm like all right Black Flag was always about freedom. You always read interviews of Greg Ginn or, you know, film interviews of him, and they're talking about how they're about freedom, and this is, like, freedom of musical expression and doing what they want and all this sort of stuff. And, like, I don't know. To revisit that in this kind of cover band, like Elvis Presley, like, Las Vegas way, is just a slap in the face to that. I just wish they could have just left it the way it was. I mean, I think it's great that they're playing, they're doing music, they're writing new material, but why just call it something else, man. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, make it something else. Make it something, something new, something interesting. That's not mining this like, you know, vein of, of old material, you know, this ancient history, you know, especially you were saying that according to your source, Greg didn't really enjoy playing that music. No, I hated it. Yeah, you hated it. Said, yeah. You know, so I just write a whole. Maybe they're going to play all new material. And now, and now I'm thinking about it. There's no way they're going to have uh, Chavo sing like in my head material. That wouldn't even make sense for the crowd. No, and that's the thing. It's going to be filled with a bunch of morons 
like who just want to see like you know that that era of the band like this fucking early the less creatively challenging version of the band in my opinion i mean yeah, don't get me wrong right, i right. love everything by that band but for me man it's it's like you know my war you know damaged onward for me is really what i'm into you know like the, the hardcore stuff that had Dez on it, transitioning into the Rollins material, and then of course ending with "In My Head," and I think "In My Head's like a, a the unsung classic record by that band. Did you ever hear? Um, it's another mid '90s band, and they had a singer named Reese, and it was called um, Mother something. Hmm. Bad, bad. It's called Bad. Bad. I never heard of them. Right, and they had an album called Bad Motherfucker, and that was kind of disturbing to me because uh, there's a lot of really, uh, okay, like doing "Slip It In" is one thing, yeah. Um, Weird, kind of very enigmatic song, you know. Raises a lot of questions. Um, Some feminists hate it, hated it then, hated it now. Some um, some other ones embrace Black Flag and see that as see some of their sexist tendencies as being something which is just the totality of the band. Uh, that fucking bad album is really disturbing. It's got a song where they're, like they have a bunch of skits in between the songs. Okay. And there's which which aren't funny. And they have this one where it's like a girl is breaking up with Reese and he's like uh and she's like, It's over Reese and she's like he's like, But 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 why? And she goes let me tell you something. Those orgasms I faked. She goes, because those orgasms I had, I faked every one of them. And he goes, you faked those orgasms? Tell that to that guy that you're praying to last night, bitch. And then you hear a sound of a slap. Oh. And it's like really ugly. It's like, yeah. it's like, it sounds like they took like a little piece of wood and like hit a mallet against yeah. it to, to have, you know, to yeah. replicate the sound of I mean, a slap. Maybe he really slapped the girl or anything. You <laughs> I mean, it really Maybe slapped he like really her. smacked her, you know, I don't know. And it's super shitty. It's not funny. And it's like, it's like right, you know, you're listening to you listen to music as an intimate thing. I used to listen to that album a lot. And it's like, you know, that fucking sound is right in my ear. It's not good. And uh they um what else did they have? They had a couple other I mean that wasn't their only fucked up moment. I never even song. heard of these guys. Bad. Bad. Called? They had a song called Who Jumped Jello. Oh. That okay. was about protest song about uh Jello getting his leg broken yeah. in San Francisco. So it's a really it's an interesting album. It's the weird, you know, post punk, post hardcore, you know, kind of put these guys being at odds with with their future kind of album. So this well, band bad, what uh where are they are they from SF or well, it was it was Greg. That's what I'm saying. Oh, oh I wasn't clear on that. I'm sorry. It was Greg. Yeah, yeah. It was an SST like band that he did at the same time that he did the Greg Ginn band. I didn't know that. Yeah, and Reese Elbad, Elbad. El- okay, El- called. I still have no. Idea. I don't. They're in the catalog for SST. If it's still available, it was because during that period he did Greg Ginn, Gone, Elbad, Hor, H O R, which is yeah, that yeah, I, I have that. Yeah. Oh wow, yeah. And, and you know his his guitar playing's good on yeah, yeah. Bad Motherfucker, mm-hmm. and I remembered when he stepped away. I remember the other fucking sexist fucked up song there. It was this weird song that was like cleverly, like cleverly linking imagery of a cat with pussy. Huh. So it's like 
Reese singing, here, little kitty. It's like, no, the lyrics were, hey, little kitty, I'm a friend of you. Hey, little kitty, you're just a little pussy, too. And then it's like, this, um, all these songs about, like, this kind of weird childlike rhyme huh. about the little pussy, the little pussy that's, like, Reese is holding on a string. It's just fucked up. Really? You know? Yeah. I, I never even heard of El Bad. And not fucked up in a way that it justifies being so, like, politically fucked up because it's such a great rocking song, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just fucked. Well, you know, you know, the Nig Heist had a... Oh, yeah. They had a... You know, that was like a... He has a sort of history of distasteful sort of stuff. Well, Fear and Nig Heist, you know, I guess I, you know, I give them... They definitely are so talented. Well, Nig Heist wasn't that talented, but they were right there on the front lines and playing for, you know... Hostile crowds. Yeah, that's interesting. That's <laughs> yeah. definitely interesting. And fear, yeah, man, I mean, well, shit, I don't know. That was a period where you got Jeffrey Lee Pierce singing songs like The Devil and the Nigger. Yeah. And you had, you know, you had uh, uh, Jimmy Gestapo. It was a different political climate. Right. And, and, uh, Anybody who protested at the point definitely at that point definitely had a had a strong had a strong uh, basis to stand on to stand up and say this is fucked up. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, but sort of fascist imagery. It it, it was uh, I wouldn't say it was tolerated, but um, it wasn't as literal. I think back in those days, because I even ha I interviewed uh, the sick of it all guys like um, last year for like a sort of uh, verbal history of the band, which hasn't surfaced yet. It should be out hopefully this later this year. But it's, um, you know, they were talking about like back in the 80s, like, you know, swastikas and like wearing screwdriver shirts and stuff like that. But it, 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 in a lot of ways, it wasn't as like literal as it is now. I mean, now it's like you can't really do that and not get confronted by somebody. Mm -hmm. You might get confronted in a super passive aggressive way, you know, they write about you like on a message board somewhere. But mm -hmm. You know, but but back then it seemed it, for whatever reason it just there wasn't as much like judgmentalism going on with that. You know, I'm not saying it was good or bad. I'm just saying that that kind of was like the climate. You know. Yeah, in the case of people like um, Jeffrey Lee Pierce, I don't see it as having a political component. I see it as being sort of like junky, primal scream type of shit. So I don't feel I feel like it's as personal as doing the Black Flag stuff as doing My War was. And yeah. He was just trying to. I mean, he was. He was fucked. He was fucked up and on drugs. Yeah. He, great musician, and I feel like he was everything for him was inward. He just had no had no awareness of the world. Yeah, around definitely. Him. I think Lou Reed was like that when he put the swastika in his head in the seventies. You know, he was just a speed freak, and his world <laughs> didn't his world didn't exist past his blinders. Yeah. Also, I think Jeffrey Lee Pierce was like referencing this sort of southeastern, you know, sort of thing, you know, where that sort of you know, language was more at home, I think, you know, and I think that that was just sort of the, um, the character he was playing, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? In addition to him being like a, a insane, like junk junkie and drug addict and whatnot. But so your, your buddy's going to, uh, so while when we <laughs> took the break, <laughs> we were saying before I did, I was, I'm involved, I was involved with, with Eric Weil, AKA Iggy scam, longtime publisher of Scamzine. And, uh, he's been, he's, we've been talking, I teach at third ward and I've been trying to get him to teach a zine making class there. 
or journalism because you know he's he's a trained journalist he's taken he's been published by uh san francisco whatever it is sentinel the la weekly legitimate papers so uh but he's really hard up for money right now and third ward uh their whole their faculty is being is going through a big shake-up where uh so he wrote me and he said, is anything coming through for Third Ward right now? Even though I've told him that's a turnaround for a while. He goes, because I'm really hurting for money. So then I just, I was like, I wrote him today and I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I can't help. Or what's your plan? And he wrote me just now and said, actually something just came through. And I thought he was being satirical. He goes, yeah, something just came through. I'm going to be, uh, I'm getting hired by Vice magazine to go hitchhike to Texas with my base in hand to try to get Greg Ginn to try to let me try out for the Black Flag reunion. Wow. And I wrote him back and I was like, ha ha, come on, you know, stop joking. He goes, I'm not joking. I'm still leaving on Friday. Wow. And he's told me before that he would not write for Vice. He's like, that's the, he, he's like, and he's like, I know that other, other people with integrity have done it, but he's like, I can't go there because of reasons X, Y, and Z. Okay. I mean, I mean he, wrote, he wrote about vice-like culture, like turning punk rock's meaning inside out in that Black Flag issue. He talked about the whole idea of Vans turning fans into people who take place in advertising their own scene. They're like the Vans, the Vans tour where Off World comes tour. to play. Off came to play, right, this year, the same day that the Joan Jett show was coming, up, coming on. And it was Vice and Vans present off. It was a free show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was at. It's actually not too far from here at their warehouse. The, that's it. The yeah. Vans warehouse. Yeah, they have shows there, like these invite only, like sort of RSVP shows where you, it's free, you yeah. know. But you gotta like email. I, I don't really. I only, I went. Yeah, this is the worst because like this band Converge, but mm. I went to that show because I was hanging out with my friend Dave, and he's friends with those dudes, and like so we went. And I, I don't, I didn't RSVP. I just kind of like walked in with Dave because, like, you know, it's Dave Witty, you know, and kind of a rock star. You know, okay, people yeah. like know who he is and everything. So, um, you know, we like walked into that show, and it was free, but you had to like put your name on a list somehow. And, yeah, you know, I, I don't really know all the details about it, but I guess that's the off show was like that. And I think someone like Archers of Loaf or Super Chunk or someone like that played that show. That's too. right, Super Chunk. I did hear that. Yeah. And he was saying that yeah, I guess there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you go if you, if you go, you get a see off. You're hanging out with your friends, and they're skateboarding. Unless you real, we step back from it and realize that you are basically um, letting yourself, uh, letting yourself do their work of advertising their product by letting them buy out the show in this culture. So you're going just by going there and hanging out. You are advertising for Vans, and he's like, I, you know, he's, he's like, uh, the whole the whole zine was basically him saying that he's having a really hard time even figuring out what it means to be a punk at age thirty nine or whatever. Yeah, he is. well, I don't think like I kind of feel like you, you the way your participation is completely different now than it it was back in you know when punk started really. You know, and I just feel like, for me, I just feel like I don't really, I'm irrelevant in that world, to be honest, you know what I mean? I think that, I think I was talking earlier about how I think that punk and hardcore is kind of like a, a kid's game. It's like a young, young man's trip, you know? Yes. That's not to say that, like, you know, 
I've like given up all my ideals or anything like that. I think that you can conduct yourself and live your life with those ideals in mind. But the way things are today versus how they were in 1984 is a completely different, different playing field, man. You know, and I'm not saying I agree with what Vans is doing or, you know, what I, what I find just really cheap about the whole thing is how it's like a lifestyle commodity trip instead of what it was originally intended to be is more like a social like idea, you know, now it's about selling products and like having the right shoes. You know, Vans was around back then, but they, they were like a cheap sneaker that you mm-hmm. wore. It wasn't like you would, you desired those because it just became like part of what people wore, you know what I mean? And they were involved in the skateboarding scene and the skateboarding scene because everyone in, that was a skater back then was like some out outcast by default were punks, you know what I mean? It wasn't like today where like well-adjusted kids are skateboarding because it's like a cool thing to do and like, you know, girls are into it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like back then you were like a renegade, you were an outlaw. You were just like dudes who were in the hardcore and punk. You were part of that world because you didn't fit in with the jocks and the sort of popular kids in your in your high school or your social group or whatever. Yeah. But now it's like the same thing. It's like this sort of hipsterism, you know, it's like everyone, that's just the way things are. That's just the, what people, that's a product that people buy, you know, because it's part of a uniform that you wear to fit in. You yeah. Know? I also think like you were saying about it being a young man's game or young person's game. I, uh, I would not go to shows as eagerly as I did when I was young at all, but I also didn't get, I mean, I didn't get published. I didn't get finished comics. I didn't finish a lot of things that were important to me back then. So it's a trade-off. One of my first teachers uh, said to me, when you go to a show, you're making somebody else's dream come true. Yeah. And I do do say that to myself. When I stay home, if I don't go to a show, it might be six hours of pure work versus, you know, two-hour commute back and forth, an hour of fucking waiting for the band to go on stage. And, um... And, you know, then the three hours the show actually runs. I mean, it can be, it could kill an entire day. And with, uh, if I can, like, use that time just to say fuck it and stay home, I can get an entire page of work done. So I feel like I've sort of internalized the message that I want to get from punk. Yeah. And that's how I use it now. Then it's, part of me thinks I'm just, that's kind of weak. You know what I mean? I can still go support bands if I wanted to. I just, I have a more open viewpoint of like things I support these days because, um, you know, just the, the sort of recycled hardcore punk style music is not something I'm really that into these days. And it's like, you know, I, I, you know, I listen to tragedy, I like, you know, there's certain bands I really dig, but, um, you know, I don't just go because it's part of like a scene that I'm involved with and I'm not involved in that scene anymore at all. You know, I mean, I have my own sort of likes and mm-hmm. things that I'm into. But also, I don't want to be like some dude bumming out like younger kids. Be like, oh, well, you know, you like this band, you know, like, y- you know, you really should go back to the source. Like, I don't want to be one of those guys either, you know People what I mean? so fucking eager to do that. Yeah, man. so that's why, like, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'll check something out. Because, I mean, our practice space is right next to the Acheron. So I see, like, a lot of shows, like, mm-hmm. just sort of our, literally our door opens up and it's literally the door that goes into the Acheron. So... Um, yeah, I'm not going to like <clears throat> discredit what other people are doing because it doesn't, because I might've seen like an earlier version of that music performed. It doesn't make it invalid either. It just makes it not something that I can particularly relate to though. You know what I mean? It's, hmm. 
I can relate to the things that are in my like life. And I'm not going to say that my experiences are more valid than someone else's experiences because someone could be seeing these bands playing and that could be like the most intense real thing that they've ever experienced. And I don't want to take that away from anybody, you know, sir. Yeah. Yeah. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 You know, and just because I saw, you know, whatever band in like 1987 or something doesn't mean that this new band that they're checking out that might sound a lot like the band I saw in 87 is any less valid, you know, to them. I don't know. Yeah. It, it is interesting. I mean, so many of the big figures in punk, like Ian Mackay, you can see him evolving and getting more back to... First, you saw him go back to his rock roots. So I'm go back to, you know, kind of bring in Aerosmith kind of info and cheap trick into Fugazi, early Fugazi. Yeah. And then even more so as they got older with the Evens, it's just all like melodic yeah, rock. Totally. And then, you know, you know, there's people who stay committed to hardcore and they're in the back of the shows and or punk or whatever. They're in the back of shows, you know, not getting hit. Yeah. But I wonder how if you stopped and talked to each one. How many people are still just like, uh, they don't, sorry, I'm like, um, I wonder how many people there are whose tastes stay pretty much like they were when they were young. There, there are kids I know like that. There are yeah. older dudes that are like, and, and that's cool. I mean, that's, that's their, that's their trip. You know I mean? I'm not going to say that they're wrong for doing that, but yeah. you know, some people just like the sound, man. They're into that. Yeah. They enjoy the sort of sameness, I guess, or whatever. They like yeah. the reliability, knowing that like a record's going to come out that sounds just like something they listened to in 1985, you know? Or would you think, when you think about the people, um, do you think that they're, they lack introspection? No, because they're also into other stuff, too. I mean, I know a lot of people who are way more tied into like what's going on in new hardcore and punk than I am. Like, I, I couldn't even tell you a name of a band that, that's a punk or a hardcore band. Yeah, that came out in the last couple of years. I know, I know. You know? Supposedly there's this whole hardcore 80s sound and it sounded like revival. Again. Yeah. Because there was one in the 90s too when like uh, like bands like uh, that sort of those straight edge bands came out like In My Eyes and 10 Yard Fight and uh, that yeah. was like that was the, like a second coming of like all that youth crew. You yeah. Know? And then I guess well there was like I thought that there was like a crunchiness that was lacking with those fucking bands. Uh, and then bands like, um, American nightmare. I, oh yeah. I, I, thought, I thought that they, you didn't like them. No. Oh wow. I thought that they really rocked in a way that a lot yeah. of those bands didn't. See, the problem is I lived in Boston and it was like, I always felt like a lot of that bridge nine stuff was really like kind of the downfall for me of like hardcore, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was to me. I mean, this is going to sound cheesy, but it's like, it wasn't really like, you know, outsider enough for me. There was something like very jock, very, you know, well-adjusted dudes with girlfriends and stuff, which is something I wasn't, you know, at all at the time. And are they the ones who's the fucking singer? Who's the one who's the singer only had one arm? Oh, that's, that's American Night. He's also in that, that band Cold Cave. Okay. That sort of, uh, New Order. Um, really? dude, carbon copy, complete ripoff of New Order. Yeah. Uncomfortably so. Wow, wow. Yeah, it makes me uncomfortable, like, when I think of them, because they're so much a derivative of that. What about, like, Modern Life is War? They're good. Yeah. See, I remember being on tour with, uh, with Anna, when I was in Anodyne, and those bands were, like, 
sort of around. And yeah. I was way more involved in like hardcore at that point. And um, Modern Life is War, I thought, were, were awesome. They were yeah, like yeah. definitely, you know, Career Suicide was another band that comes up. My my last, the real, like bands like The Swarm and uh, Cursed, like that was kind of like the, the tail end of my involvement in like quote unquote hardcore music, you know, and, and I enjoyed all that stuff. But I just, you gravitate towards different things, you know, you just become... And, and punk and hardcore is so big. It's definitely like the elephant that like the, the blind man is telling you what it's like. Yeah. Like my experience of hardcore was that in the 90s, uh, yeah, you had like, you had all the youth crew shit like Judge, which I didn't like at the time. It sounds better to me now. Yeah. DRI also sounds a lot better to totally. me Totally. I love both of those bands, by the way. I'm not behind their, their Judge reunion, though, which is another complete other subject, but yeah. And then... uh then shit started getting into, by the time you started getting into that late Victory Records stuff, and people start playing really fucking fast, like, um, what's that one band? Shit. Uh, Death by, no, I'm fucking, I'm losing it, but I saw, I saw a bunch of bands that were really fucking, it was like math rock, it was like really fucking fast, and the singing was really screamy, huh. so I thought that shit, like American Nightmare and um, uh, Modern Life is War, was a step back to like a, a more mid-tempo, 80s sound, it was yeah. like, had a lot more guts to it and a lot less intellect, Sure, but somebody else's experience could be completely different, Yeah, but this shit does come, seem to go in waves. So like that noisier stuff was, oh, I was really into that, like, you know, like Dead Guy and, and yeah. um, you know, Cole, well, not, Cole S, in theory, I like them, like, live, I never really got, got them live, but... You know, bands like Dead Guy, I was really into. Kiss a Goodbye. Kiss a Goodbye. I know you love them. I'm not into them. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, to each his own, man. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the thing. It's like, I remember, like... I like Dead Guy when they fucking covered um, Whore Business. I was yeah. like, these guys fucking fucking rock. Yeah. It was harder. I like Dead Guy. I listened to them a lot. But it was hard for me to get my head around. You see, there is, like, a certain common thread in bands I can relate to that are part of the hardcore scene. It's like... A, a relation to the Misfits, hmm. Black Flag, Black Sabbath, mm -hmm. and Slayer. Like, there, there's a number of bands that I don't even know so much anymore, but back in the 90s, there was like that, that kind of underlying vibe that they had where you wouldn't be surprised that they did a Misfits cover or they were into like Sam Hain, Misfits, that kind of thing. And, um, there's like a certain common vibe amongst that that I felt like bands like Modern Life is War or, and not so much Modern Life is War but um, American Nightmare just was a part of that group mm. they had some other thing going on you know that involved like going to you know dates and stuff like that and you know that kind of thing yeah 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 like they always had those girls with the baggy <laughs> pants and the um, the bandana you know haircut thing going. you know what I'm talking about like in the 90s yeah like that, that look, you know, the chicks with the the bandana and the hair, and then the baggy jankos. Like that's not the kind of girls that like I was associated with. You know, there were were hardly any girls I was associated with at that phase right, right. of my life. So, so that that was like kind of like I was associated like you know American Nightmare and like uh, you know 
there's like all that sort of stuff with like you know it probably says more about me than them. But I'm just like flashing back. I'm yeah. going to hardcore shows in the mid '90s. There was this one girl. She's also in the uh, hardcore movie, the NYHC movie. Okay. She had a like, suffer tattooed on the inside of her lip. Right. And she everybody knew her, and she had that look. And then she'd fucking dress up sometimes and be really sexy. She'd come with like a cap. Girl skirt, oh wow, and like like a tight kind of like hot punk girl like yep. pastiche, and uh, yeah, she was toy that type, thick like Staten Island accent. And she was really cute, and she'd be like the one girl she knew everybody. Yeah, but uh, yeah, she had to like, suffer from the VOD song. Oh, <laughs> what a bad reference, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was pretty short sighted. Early early VOD was actually fucking amazing. Believe it or not. I I, uh, I can't really speak intelligently about earlier the early VOD stuff. Really, they uh, I saw them I saw them a bunch of times. They were fucking amazing. It was like they were doing what Integrity did at their peak, and they didn't have a bass player. It was just like they were so fucking eager to get out there. So it was just the two guitarists and a fucking drummer and the singer. And even with his bad tattoos and his mini dreads and his baggy jeans, they were really fucking good. It was live, yeah. and they were always there constantly. Missing shows. They'd be on a bill with 25 to Life. Yep. I remember those bills. Yeah, Crown of Thorns and yep. like some other band, and like, you know, a couple other small bands, and they'd they'd always fucking fuck up and like not not make the show, but people seem to put up with it because they're so good, which is why they kind of briefly broke away from the pack and went on to something bigger. Yeah. And I know they got unbelievably terrible. They were on Roadrunner for a number of years, you know, for a couple of records, you know. I mean, whatever, man. I mean, people do what they want to do. It's like, I, I remember, like, I, I, in an interview, I basically said what I said about uh, Death Wish. Not Death Wish. Uh, I don't even know how I really care for that label that much either. But, like, um, not No Leader? Bridge Nine. Bridge Nine. I said some disparaging thing about them in an interview. And then, like, three or four years later, the guy who runs that label, like, randomly emailed me. Like, all, like, you know trying to like assert himself somehow, you know? And I was just like, dude, that was like four years ago. And I go, and secondly, it's like, you know, I have an opinion just like everyone else, man. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, what, Matt, what does it matter? Like what I say about your label? Cause the band I was in at that time sold less records and that dude probably sent out his promos. You know, it's like, I don't have like some long reaching arm that influences anyone one way or the other. And if you're going to play like the numbers game, then you, you clearly won, you know, because I, you sell oh, your band. Oh, asserting himself? We were great because we sold it. No, I don't know. I guess he just wanted everyone to like him or like his bands or think that what he was doing was like cool or whatever. But like I, to me, it wasn't. And that's just my tastes. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that like, I think that, you know, you're an idiot for liking his bands. You know, I think that you just have a different taste than I do, you know, and I'm not saying my tastes are superior. Mm-hmm. I can't understand why you would like those bands, but I'm not saying it's, I'm not making any judgments on anybody. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like, it's like, I know VOD is, uh, became, it's like, it's not cool to say that I liked them at one point, and even, I don't even know if their demos stand up. That's what I liked was their early demos. Right. This one where I remember you could hear him, he was singing so hard, you could hear him gasping for breath yeah. in between verses, and it was really good at the time. And it was, and it hit, it's weird how some music would hit you like a fucking wall. Right. And now you go back and it sounds really conventional. You can hear the, you can hear how the song is structured. Yeah. Um, 
it's weird how some shit ages and some shit doesn't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just kind of the way of the nature of things, though. You know what I mean? It's like movies are the same way. And, like, you know, if you revisit a bunch of books that you read when you were, like, a kid and you listen, read it now, it's like it doesn't have the same impact on you. Sometimes it does. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. So a yeah. lot of times it's the magic is gone. Black Flag has always been a band, though, that's had that same impact on me. It's like I could listen to, you know, Damaged or whatever. And, and it still hits me the same way. I can listen to it in my head, and it still hits me the same way. Dead Kennedy's the same thing. You know, Sam Hain, Misfits, all that stuff is, like, still, to me, like, I listen to it, and I can enjoy it, just like I enjoyed it back when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. Sometimes I gotta have my heart broken to really like that stuff. Like, I was so emotional in a weird way when I was in my 20s. The music would really be, uh, would really console me. And it's just like when you get have a breakup with a girlfriend, all of a sudden love songs, which sort of are leave you cold all of a sudden you kind of are able to enter them and use them to make you feel better so sometimes because i'm not you know i'm not as fucking damaged my life isn't as scary and like right. I, you know un, un, sort of doesn't have a substantial you know grounding and at the floor of it so i mean my whole life was a free fall which is where you're supposed to be in your 20s yeah especially if you didn't go to college and that shit would really make me negative approach. I remember yeah. like just fucking real, like really, really getting captured by those songs. Now those dudes, you saw, you saw the reason. I saw them recently. They played with Pentagram. Yeah. And I, I was, I wasn't blown away by it. Oh shit. Okay. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting yeah. case of reunion of the reunion thing for me. My friend just saw them. I mean, I used to go see the hyenas a lot. I've, I've eaten dinner with those guys and my friend Joaquin, he was like, uh, he, he roadied with them. And they were constantly just scoffing at the idea of going backwards and doing negative approach songs. I mean, an idea of stage banter would be like, anybody have any requests? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to play. We're going to play Evacuate real soon. You know, sarcastically. And now he's doing it. Yeah. So I went back and I'm like, how did he get from that point and to, to where he is now? There's a really good interview with him. Um, on YouTube that you can find where he fills in every blank of that story that you he explains how he had his head turned around he was like he, he was he was like um, they did a one-off for the touch and go reunion, yeah I remember reading about that which was I thought sounded great and yeah. he was like there's fucking 13,000 people there or something like that then they got invited to go off to Brazil or something and again they're playing in front Brazil. of thousands and thousands of people and he said you know back in the day because we started to think we're standing there in front of more people than I've ever played in front of in my entire career and thinking maybe there's something to this you know you can see how he's not just painting it in terms of money he's painting it in terms of of uh, fans of being, he's like look we never stopped doing music he goes, I still can sing. He's like, it's a way for him to sing in front of people. And he said, um, you know, the we the most they ever played in front of was two hundred people with negative right. approach. So I so on the, in the pro column or of in the pro versus con column, he has all these reasons for not doing negative approach. He doesn't want to move backwards creatively. He's um, all the other things that we've talked about today. He's not yeah. the same person. He's not in the same place. And in the in the other column, he's got all these other reasons that he's explaining turned his head around. And meanwhile, he's getting, he gets treated well as for the first time. Yeah, as a probably. <laughs> yeah, he, totally. He, he's like, we go to Europe because we're not playing in shitty, sleeping in shitty little squats. We're actually right. sleeping in hostels. Yeah. People are feeding us and giving us salami and Coke and beer. <laughs> I, assume, I think he meant Coca-Cola. And he, um, 
same fucking. I mean, he's he John Brandon even off the you know when he's not singing is a great yarn spinner. He's like seeing him in this interview is awesome. He's got a little fucking cigarette. I said to my friend, it's like you can't sit, place it whether he's holding a cigarette like a fucking Daryl Tobo or like a prince in exile. Like, <laughs> he's like holding the cigarette until it fucking, the inch is like a half, you know, it's like an inch long on it. And he looks fucking happy and he's super enthusiastic to talk about his relationship with this music, which has lived with him every step of the way since he's been 17 years old. Yeah. Know? He, he is probably my favorite. In terms of a singer who's affected me live, he's probably my favorite singer of all time. He's like, he's like fucking, he, he's, he's like when they talk about people being kidnapped and how their captors will tear them down and then build them back up and brainwash them by brainwashing them, that's how seeing the hyenas were for me. Oh, yeah, man. I've seen the hyenas a couple times. I mean, I only saw a negative approach on the reunion. Yeah. You know? And I saw easy action a couple times. Yeah. I, I mean, easy action a lot too, yeah. I mean, you know, everyone. I'm not saying that I don't want to take anything away from anybody who's wanting to do their thing. And I, I'm into that. But for me, it's just I don't need to be part of it, you know, because mm -hmm. especially, you know, I mean, I, I didn't love negative approach when I saw him play. It was enjoyable, but I felt like I, was, I wasn't seeing negative approach. I felt like I was seeing, like, the guys in negative Easy approach. Easy action doing negative approach. Yeah. And, I think it's got Op, O-P, yeah. I think his name is. He's, like, the one other NA member. And everybody else is from Easy Action. Easy Action guys, yeah. And then the same thing with Flag, which is like, and Black Flag is like my favorite all-time band, like the most influential band on me on every ass, every level of my life. Like the just, it's too much of a risk for me to go and check that out and try to believe that I'm actually seeing something that is as important to me as Black Flag was because I know that I'm not gonna, I know it's not gonna live up to what my expectation would be. You know, and it's just like I, for, I would prefer that they they just let that alone, not revisited that material, wrote all new songs, and just went out and toured as a totally different band. I'm much more even-handed about it. To me, it's not comparable to like DC Comics starting up Watchmen again. This is <laughs> this is like you know the creators are the people for whatever whatever reasons are not ideal. They're not ideal reasons, but. Uh, yeah, I'm like, you know, maybe it'll be good. It's definitely not going to hit the marks it would if it was the real black flag or if the real negative approach. But these people, I mean, these guys are 50, you know. Oh, plus, older, man. Or older, plus. yeah. You know, the idea that uh, they can uh, they can get still get out there and rock and find something for themselves and find some money, all that makes sense to me and is a lot less convoluted and distorted beyond all recognition as like the Watchmen thing where they've taken taken everything away from the the, the individual yeah you know it's definitely uh, but yeah and it's funny everybody's made who who's held out who said I'm not gonna fucking do this shit um, you mean in black out of the black flag crew all those or? bands have all the people you know you've had Dead Kennedys reunions <laughs> you've had uh, Sex Pistols you've yeah. had uh, Fang you've had uh Misfits. Misfits is one of the worst. Oh, that's a clear, you know, like destruction of a legacy for me. You me know? too. Yeah, I don't know. Descendants have gotten back together again. Um, Husker Du has never gotten back together. Huh, yeah. You know, the, no, the Minutemen, no. Yeah. Oh, you want to keep, well, I shouldn't talk too much shit, but you want to see Bob Mole destroy any any credibility he's ever had. You got to read his biography. Yeah, I'm afraid to do that. 
he actually has one quote on there. I listened to the audiobook version. Yeah. He actually had a quote where he said, when I did, you know, Digitalize or whatever his, like one of his late albums was, because they had one of the best photographs of me that anybody's ever taken, because it featured what to me is my best feature, which is my deep set, intense blue eyes. Like you can't <laughs> say shit like that about yourself. That's kind of funny though. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah. And he also says, uh, he's, he's like talking about himself when he did Husker Do, and he was saying, you know, when I sang Eight Miles High, my voice reached a level of intensity that was so brutal and compelling that it was beyond the scope of, I mean, I, I, I gave him a pass because he's talking about Husker Do when he starts using the same voice to talk yeah, about his solo tough. career. It's pretty funny. Yeah, you know, Husker was another one of those bands that I was really into. I mean, they, they were like, a little different than the other bands, you know, and and weird because they had like a pop, very pop melodic element, but they were just super dark, you know. I mean, like the Descendants had and, and bands like All, they were very poppy, you know, yeah. like Dag Nasty and whatnot. Firehose. Yeah, but they weren't dark in the same way that like Husker Du was, you know. Like Husker Du had this like real dark, and then their earlier records were just noisy, like hardcore. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I... I, I never found Bob Mould as the, a guy to be someone that like was like really compelling. I never felt any any of the members of the band. I never felt com- compelled to like read about their personal lives or anything. I just as musicians, I thought they were cool. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't have like a burning desire to know about the inner workings of that band necessarily or Bob Mould's take on his deep set blue eyes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I could just enjoy the records, I guess. <laughs> So what's uh, the release dates looking like for your um, these projects you got coming out? The Orm is going to appear in Yeti, the next issue of Yeti magazine. Mike McGonigal's uh, Yeti. He used to do Chemical Imbalance, and he, uh, he that's coming. It was it, it's been done for a year, but uh, it's being released like in March. Okay. So right yeah, fuck. It's been exactly a year since I gave him the work. Um, and then Raw Power will be out at least by June. We might do an earlier printing, and I might sell them, sell them uh, out of my out of my home or whatever, uh, or at, at, um, have it have like advanced copies at some of the conventions that are coming up. Suspect Device Three is going to be out probably by April, so okay. it's going to be like we're talking spring for everything. Yeah, and it's all like in a sort of like condensed time frame too yeah you know it's almost, we're almost out of february at this point yeah yeah that's yeah, true march is right around the corner yeah. yeah short month february yeah yeah so are you on twitter yeah yeah so what, where can they hit you on twitter uh mr josh bear that's uh m m r j o s h b a y e r like slayer with a b cool all right thanks for coming down josh yeah, appreciate it down the train again Walls close